Drop. You are listening to the Story Forward podcast, which of course is brought to you by the same people who did Story Fort Presents Voices of Tree Fort Music Fest. That's if we sound familiar to you. There's a reason. Yes. This week, summer at the bookstore. Before we get into that, though, we have some news. News. Why don't you tell us what that news is? It's a little news about our community, our Story Forward burgeoning community. Uh, we are, you can see these in the show notes, we are going out there on social media and many different platforms, but one of which is going to be a Story Forward, the podcast group on Facebook. And we're going to be talking about bookstores today and great experiences there and kind of summer at the bookstore, as Larry said. But we highly encourage you all to take part in this community. Come check out our show notes where all the links will be. And uh, yeah, we want to get to know you and some of your bookstore stories as well as, uh, you know, really anything you want to tell us. And well, yeah, we'll be going back in there after shows, uh, actual us that you can actually interact with. This week, the Story Forward podcast, we are going to talk to booksellers about what happens at a bookstore in the summer. Now, what do you think happens in a bookstore in the summer? They sell some books that have, well, you know, they've that's got... sort of a year-round thing <laughs> no, they do. It's true. Well, they, they bring out the summer titles that uh, hopefully catch people's eye as they're kind of heading out into the mountains or going, oh, just to the beach or just getting away for a while to take some time yeah. to relax and enrich their lives with uh, fascinating books. And it's interesting, we, we did do a research, a touch on this kind of stuff. And it's, it's, a, it's a little all over the map in a certain mm-hmm. way. And it depends, like you're going to get a couple of different stories today. Right. It One, definitely yeah. depends on the type of bookstore. But you know, summer's a funny time because it is, in a lot of ways, a time where things are big, where things are done big. And that's what I think of when I think of if I were running a bookstore, a general interest bookstore, selling books to everybody, and summer came up like, this is the time for the big books. This is the time, like the blockbuster books. And this is the time for right. big displays out in front. But when we talk to our guests today, we, we may find that that's not true for all bookstores. That's true. Well, what what is our interview guest's name again? Our guest today is Pete Mulvihill. He is the co-owner of Green Apple Books in San Francisco, California, which is, you know, Green Apple Books, having spent some time in San Francisco, California, I can tell you that outside of the legendary City Lights bookstore, Green Apple is probably the oldest, uh, most entrenched, and most respected independent bookstore in San Francisco. Yeah, I'd say so. Not having spent quite as much time in San Francisco, but it's a pretty special place. There's two or three. There are two. two. Yeah, there's one on Clement Street in the Richmond and there's one right by Golden Gate Park, which has a great, a great room for readings. Uh, and let me say too, you know, this interview, I, I, I've interviewed Pete a couple times, and you, I, I always find his story fascinating. And in short, he started as a temp. As a temp, yeah. He got a temp job. He, I think he said he wanted to get a job in publishing, and he got a temp job at the bookstore, thinking, oh, "I'll be around books while I'm." For a few months. Yeah. Yeah. Twenty-seven years later, he is the co-owner of the store, and probably mm-hmm. one of. He's a big mover and shaker in that literary community down there. Yeah, it seems like nationally too. I mean, yeah. I mean, they're, they're all the indies are kind of pretty tight knit mm-hmm. as they've had to fight off the big box stores, and maybe they've fought them off successfully now. Yeah, his so during the interview, he tells us he sort of gives us a quick wrap up of um, his experiences at Green Apple during the pandemic, and it didn't turn out the way I expected. If you remember, how so? They thrived. Yeah. Because of community support, 
Yep. And it's it's sort of a happy story, but we also primarily had Pete here to talk about what happens in the summer. He goes swimming mostly. <laughs> he definitely goes swimming. He's a swimmer. He swims. He's gonna. What's he gonna do? The swim. He's gonna swim all the bodies of water from like Washington That's State right. through California. That's but at least, right. <laughs> not every body of water, but he said he was going. He to. enjoys. He likes swimming in the bay. Wet. Yeah. yeah. So, but his stories about what happened at Green Apple in the summer mm-hmm. um, weren't quite what I described in the open. They don't put out a big, you know, here comes. I'm trying to think of the name of a big writer other than John Grisham. Like, we'll just go with John. Here comes the big John Grisham book. Right. And here's the big cardboard cutouts. And we put, you know, 500 copies in the front. Um, so it's a little bit of a different scene for him uh, because of the community that he serves and because of the type of bookstore. So to fill in that blank, mm-hmm. in the third act of this podcast, why don't you tell us what we have we in have, store? Yes. Our correspondent this week is Ross Hargreaves. The one and only, he works at Barnes and Noble, sort of the last biggest, I yeah. guess, chain bookstore out there outside the, what's brick, the one in the- Brick and mortar Brick bookstore, and mortar, yeah. yeah. Just the, the airport chain. What's that Hudson. one? Hudson. Hudson, yes. Yeah. Which we don't have one here, I don't believe, in Boise, Idaho. But that said, Ross is a wonderful storyteller, a funny dude, a wonderful writer as well. So he's he's yeah. got a great story for us today. So that will be that good. I'm looking forward to. We're going to get into it, but I, just a couple minutes before we do, I wanted to ask you a question. And that question is, since we're talking about bookstores, do you have a favorite or one that, or an experience where a bookstore sort of blew you away when you went into it? Oh man. Yeah. This, that's a tough singular experience to really pull out, but I have had some wonderful experiences as a writer um, being able to do some readings Mm. um, at places like Elliott Bay Books, which is in Seattle. And it has moved from the location I first knew it to have down in Pioneer Square. Um, But it was a super magical place. And a few years ago, um, I had the opportunity to read there. A bunch of my old friends, including you, came out of the woodwork. All my Seattle friends, or a lot of them, and it was really I was a magical experience just because it was really touching. I hadn't seen these a lot of these people in many years, but Elliott Bay is fantastic. I mean, gosh, I I do love going to San Francisco and um, you know, City Lights is has mm-hmm. been just because I fancied myself sort of you a get, beat type guy back you, in the day. So you, you get hit with a big dose of like artist juice when you walk through those doors, don't yeah. you? Yeah. And like, you go I across part the street of this. Yeah. and get yourself a cocktail at the Vesuvio's, right? Right. And Jack Kerouac sure. Lane. All that. All oh, that's pretty stuff. amazing. I was I mean, I remember as I as years ago visiting you, um, and your not yet wife at the time. Oh yeah, this is a long time yeah, ago. Yeah. We I remember just feeling very sophisticated to be wandering the streets kind of a little buzzed or maybe a lot buzzed maybe. Um, talking to Kerouac and then going to City Lights and buying some book I can't remember what I bought but doesn't uh, matter doesn't matter but it's it's legendary and, and San Francisco is such a literary place that just feels really I mean you know more about the history of the that scene over the many years than I do I think but uh, that was a special experience um, and there was, just yeah there was definitely a time there when you felt like you were in the place. Yeah. You know, my experience, you know, I thinking about this, I think my formative experiences weren't about bookstores as much as libraries. And maybe mm-hmm. we'll have an episode at some point where we can talk about that. But when I think of, when I asked you that question, I had a picture flash in my mind and that was the first library I ever went to was in Clark's Summit, Pennsylvania, where I grew up. And it was in a house 
it was just <laughs> that town was so small that our library was just somebody <laughs> rented a house and they put books in it and we used to go every week my parents would take us and i remember just uh, that's when I learned the Dewey Decimal System, so I'd know where to go. Uh, and at that time, it was 796.357 because that was sports. Okay. And I would go back to the sports. <laughs> I'd know exactly where to go, and I'd go back to the sports books. And while my parents were looking for all their stuff, I would just hang out there with the sports books for a while and get them and, and bring them home. So that's, that's my deal. Cool. So let's move on to well, our one interview. One more oh, thing, Larry. Let me just hop in because I oh, wanted to just, uh, did I forget give something? a No, I wanted to add because we're in Boise, Idaho. Um, we are. We're based out of, and we love it here. And we have a really special bookstore, Rediscovered Books. Uh, they have two Shout locations. Out, Rediscovered. Yeah, so they've been a big supporter of things we've done and continue to do in the community. But also, just a quick memory of a place called Trip Taylor. It's gone Where's now. that? It was right on 10th Street in downtown Boise. It was used mostly, some new, but it was one of those places that was like a maze of books. Hardly could fit through the aisles and all that kind of stuff. And sadly... Boise got big and prices of, uh, you know, rents and leases went up and Trip <laughs> had to step away from the store. But that said, I wanted to, you know. Give him a little shout a out. A little shout out. Trip Taylor, it's a pretty special. Trip and, Taylor, I like that. Yes. Of course, who doesn't love Rip Taylor? Um, True. So that's my Boise shout that's out. That's your Boise so. shout out. And as long as you're giving shout outs, let me give a shout out to the independent bookstore in my new hometown, Jacksonville, Oregon. Shout out to you, Rebel Heart Books. Rebel Heart they're Books. They're reopened after they shut down during COVID, but now they're open and they're big. Uh, they got the big windows. You know, you open all the way and the mm -hmm. books are open to the air. It's really fantastic. So now should we Very get cool. into the uh, interview with Pete? Pete. All, all right. Pete. Take it away, Pete. Pete, welcome to the Story Forward podcast. It's great to have you here. You have owned Green Apple, now co-owned Green Apple for, is it 20 years? Yeah, somewhere around there. It was a 10-year buyout, so the exact date is rough, but I think around 2000 is about when we took over. And I think it'd be cool for our listeners to give a little bit of background, because I think the way you came into owning it was pretty interesting and unique, because when you started at Green Apple Books, it was probably the furthest thing from your mind that you would eventually own it. Absolutely. Yeah, I had just moved out here after college and I wanted to be a journalist, um, which would have been a probably pretty parallel career. A lot of the same things that happened in the book industry happened in journalism. Um, and I was underqualified and it was a terrible economy. So I took some temp work and then my savings was running out. And uh, so I, I, uh, I stumbled upon a temp, a temp agency that told me they had temporary work at this bookstore. Um, and I was working for the bookkeeper, just helping match packing slips to invoices and then uh, he told the owner I was doing a good job. And if there was somewhere else in the store, they could use me. So I moved to the receiving room. Um, and then eventually, uh, after a couple of years, I went to grad school in the meanwhile, thinking I wouldn't stay with this bookstore thing forever. And then uh, at the end of grad school, I was pretty much getting ready to quit and move on when the owner offered to sell the store to me and two other colleagues. We worked it out. And, you know, it's like, it was kind of, even, even when we were buying it, I, I felt like, I wasn't even committed. It was a 10-year buyout, and I wasn't even sure at age 24 or something that I was going to stick around the 10 years, but I decided, well, it's like buying an apartment instead of renting an apartment. So if, if I do leave in five years or three years, I'll have some equity. <laughs> um, so even then, I wasn't committed. And, and even now, I'm turning 50 at the end of this month, and I still wonder what I'm going to do with my life someday. But uh, What did you get your master's in? In writing. And I was, yeah, and I was, it was an MA at the time and at USF, and I was teaching part-time there, too. Well, you passed up on a very lucrative career. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Adjunct teacher on occasion, yeah. And and boy, I have to say, as someone who tempt myself in the 90s, a temp job that puts you in a bookstore, that's beyond 
the dreams of temping that I ever had. Yeah, it was pretty cool compared to the, I think the assignment I had that before was answering the phones at the Matson shipping line downtown. That sounds more. Terrible at answering the phone and transferring calls. So, yeah, that was a short one. And how, how, and I know you bought out the third partner in 2018. So it's just the two of you now. Yep. How have you guys fared during the pandemic? Got to give you the short version because it's, you know, it's been absorbing, uh, all consuming. Um, the short version is uh, it was a huge shock, of course. Um, we had a we had a meeting the day before the San Francisco closed down and kind of asked the staff, should we close? Should we open? You know, if we close, we don't have any money <laughs> to pay you, um, but we don't want to risk public health or your health. Um, and staff, most of the staff said, let's keep going. And then the next morning, they shut us down anyway. So we, we marshaled some resources and got uh, the city had a grant program immediately for a week of sick pay. And we did everything we could to kind of keep people going. Um, but at the end of March, we laid off the two thirds of the staff. Um, and then they all came back in early May when we got our PPP loan. Um, in the meanwhile, the, the web sales exploded for us, um, even though we couldn't even be in the store to fulfill them. Um, we used a national wholesalers back end to kind of fulfill orders and people would place an order on our website. And we'd have the wholesalers ship the books to the customers. And we did, it took 11 years for us to sell $600,000 worth of books on our website. And then we did it in three months. Again. <laughs> wow. So yeah. So even while we were closed, we had four or five managers working in four hour shifts in the morning and at night from home fulfilling orders. Um, and that was just, uh, it was crazy. Um, and then we gradually came back for curbside pickup only. And then we opened with a lot of limitations and then we tightened up again. And so it's been this roller coaster. Um, but we got all the staff back May 3rd with PPP that really saved our butts. And then that outpouring of support from the community, um, you know, we were almost forced to put a donate button. We didn't want to, um, but people were like, how can I just give you money? And I, hmm. <laughs> which, is, which was pretty, uh, pretty heartwarming. Um, so just huge outpouring of online orders, the PPP loan. And, and support from the community. We did, uh, we printed these stay home, read books, t-shirts, and we sold like 2000 of those or something over a month or two that the profit from that, you know, made payroll for a couple of weeks. Um, we partnered with Dave Eggers. He said, anybody who placed an order over $200 on their website, he'd send them an original drawing. Um, so we Ooh. did, uh, there's one behind me here, the, the green apple goat. That's a Dave Eggers original. There. Yeah. It's just an example better than an ennui-stricken goat. Uh, that's really. awesome. Nicest thing, <laughs> nicest thing anyone's ever said about the store. Yeah. I feel like, it, you know, Green Apple in the community, it's treasured by the community. Was there a sense during COVID that it was even more treasured by the community? And if so, how did that make you feel? Yes, it was definitely, it definitely came clear that we were quite treasured. Um, again, people literally asking to just give us money, ordering books that were going to take longer to come from us and cost more than they would from a major online mm. bookseller um, or everything seller. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was incredible. It's really buoying, you know, to, to know that, you know, you get in your routines and you do the same thing every day over and over for 20 some years and it all kind of starts to feel, you know, rote. Uh, and then something like this comes along and, and it highlights how much support there is. And, you know, I really feel like two things happen that, that will last. One is the shift to online commerce, including to our store, of course, that's what everybody had to do all of a sudden. Um, and, and our web sales are still, our in-store sales are just about back to normal, um, but we still have this huge 
web web sales that are you know more than we used to do by quite a bit, maybe ten times. So that went forward, but also people literally saw all these businesses shuttered in their neighborhoods. And I feel like the shop local movement advanced 10 years at the same time that online shopping advanced 10 years, um, which is kind of sounds contradictory, but people really desperately cared about their businesses and their neighborhoods opening up and they still are going out of their way. We have so many schools that order their books through us now that didn't used to. Um, The public library has been ordering a lot more books from us than they used to. Um, And they all kind of got that idea like, wow, if I don't put my money where my mouth is, um, these places will be gone. You know, it's true of restaurants, people ordering takeout and that kind of thing too. So we get all these, you know, awards and good reviews on Yelp and that kind of thing. And that's all wonderful. Um, but to see the entire community rally the way they did to make sure we survived um, was was fantastic. Um, and we weren't the only store. I mean, City Lights raised a half million dollars in like three days. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So yeah. we're not the only ones for sure. Yeah. Our local Boise bookstore, we really only have one main one uh, with a couple of few locations like you and that I would concur that rediscovered books up here in Boise, Idaho has really had similar stories um, with a smaller population, of course. So probably not selling quite as many, but it's only so many people that live in Boise. But yeah, it's, it's cool to hear for sure. You got a lot, a lot of San Franciscans moving to Boise? <laughs> we have a lot of Californians. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, it's kind of, yeah. They're Californians and not San Franciscans. Okay. And Larry, you got your California license played off quickly, right? I removed all geographic indicators. Okay. <laughs> just so you don't get egged up there or something. Yeah. But I do have my. I still have my San Francisco parking sticker just because you know. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like <laughs> I grew up down there in uh, Palo Alto and in, in oh, San okay. Francisco, so yeah. So I've got a little bit of California. All right. Roots in me too. So, but summer reads, Mr. Rose. I know us, you have some questions. This brings us to summer. And I guess, you know, I was writing down ideas of questions I would want to ask you about what happens to the owner of a bookstore in the summer. And I had left out the most obvious one until about 10 minutes ago when Chris and I were talking and I thought, is business better in the summer? I know December is your big month, but what's business like in the summer? It is usually a little better. I think we get, you know, kids are out of school, they need something to do. I think people are just kind of out and about more than they are when they're fall and spring routines. And, uh, and we do get some, you know, book-loving tourists. Um, San Francisco's number one, well, I don't know if it still is, but it used to be tourism was our number one industry. And because we're a well-known enough store, um, we get a lot of people that kind of made a pilgrimage out here and, and they'd come out and get some dim sum and, and do some book shopping. So, so summers have been a little busier for us, traditionally. Not huge, but, but, you know, better than spring and fall. And we wanted to get into also so, you know, we, when we had, when we thought about summer reads, you know, I think when, when you say summer reads or you think of beach reads, you think of that kind of book, you think that people read different things in the summer. Is that actually true? And I, and I understand that by asking you this, I think your experience owning a, an independent bookstore in San Francisco would be different than if you managed a Barnes and Noble in Dallas. But do you get are different books emphasized by publishers in the summer? I don't think so. I think it's all kind of marketing bullshit. <laughs> um, I mean, there are, I think, you know, publishers usually said and save their biggest books. Like what I'm seeing like in fall is like the new Colson Whitehead and that kind of thing. They save them for September, October for the Christmas season, but obviously they have to publish year round. Um, and I think, uh, I think, you know, May, April, May seems to have a lot of big releases as well. Um, but for the most part, you know, what we sell day to day and you're right, it's going to be very different from other places. Um, we do have a beach, but 
it's super foggy in the summer. So it's like our beach reading is in May and September. Um, so I, you know, I don't see the sales being all that different of, of the categories that are selling, you know, kids, kids and young adult goes up a bit in the summer because those, those good people have more free time. Um, and I, I think it might be more the people that are casual readers or don't read through the rest of the year. Um, and they pick something up in the summer that they want. That's just going to be light and fun. So I think there might be, if there's anything to it, it's that the, the non-year round readers say, all right, I'm going to the beach. I'm going to get a book. And, I, and they don't normally do that. So um, there might be a little pickup in, in, in those kind of books. You raise a really good point that, that, that it is, it's more of a casual reader sort of season. Um, <clears throat> so let's say a tourist comes in. I'm going to keep saying Dallas because it's my favorite place. Okay. To, my favorite general American place. Um, if a tourist comes in from Dallas, do you have those books for them? Uh, we have some, yeah, it, you know, we, we try to make sure that we're not, and, and we never exclude books because we're snooty. We exclude books because they don't sell or we don't think they're going to sell. Um, and I remember actually when a borders, the last borders in San Francisco was down at Stonestown, which isn't that far from us. And when they closed, we made a little effort to carry a little more commercial fiction to go a little deeper on the, the, the Grishams and the Dean Koontz and Daniel Steele and that kind of stuff. And, and we, you know, started carrying romances a few years ago, just to kind of dip our toe in. Um, and if it works, we got more of them. And if they don't sell, we shrink the section. It's the same thing we did with um, literature in Spanish a couple of years ago. Like, well, let's try it. We have a big store. We have some space. So we put them in, we see if they sell. If they, um, if they don't, we shrink it. So um, we do make an effort to have a, a broad range of, of um, books in all categories, including the really, commercial stuff that generally doesn't sell super well for us, but we want people to anybody to find anything they want. That said, you know, we're not going to have an exhaustive romance section and the casual romance reader might walk in and say, Oh my God, they've got all the obvious things, but nothing interesting. So hmm. um, is, is that what you think of when you think of, of beach reads? Not necessarily. Um, you know, I think like we just got a copy of the new Anthony Doerr book, which is like 800 pages. And my wife loved um, all the light we cannot see. And so she was, she started reading it and she said, wait, no, I'm going to save this for a trip because I want to have some sort of absorbing 800 page novel that takes me away. Um, so, you know, that was kind of her conscientious summer reading plan as we're going away in a few weeks. I'm going to save this one, even though she yeah. wanted to tear through it right away. So some people like to read, you know, that big stuff. Um, I know one of my um, friends here always uh, tries to read a classic each summer that he's never read. So he'll go Dostoevsky or something like that. Um, I think it also matters whether you're traveling or not and what kind, how you're going to spend your days. You know, if you're literally sitting on a beach somewhere, that's one kind of book. Um, might be, for me, it's harder to focus when I'm sitting on the beach because there's all these people in nature and um, I just can't lose myself the way I can when, I'm, when it's quiet and I'm home in a predictable environment. So I, I actually, I like lighter things when I'm on vacation, um, unless it's the kind of vacation where you sit in a quiet room on the mountaintop in the rain and, you know, then I want something different. So I think it's really, it varies um, for each reader. Yeah. Well, Go ahead, Chris. Okay. I was just, well, just going to give a little, you know, name drop. Uh, Anthony Doerr is lives right up the street here. Then oh, wow. him, yeah, he's in, I don't know if you knew he was a Boise guy, but now he's been here for a long time, but yeah, he's a, a very kind giving person to this community. So he's awesome. Um, Excellent. And I was curious and Larry, you can chime in with your question in a sec, but I, like you're talking about your reading habits or practices as a bookstore owner how do you manage that like as far as you have to know a lot about a lot of books but i mean what is your own reading life like in the summer and otherwise yeah it's um 
you know, as I said, it's pretty, it's, let's see. Um, I read a, fic, a mix of fiction and nonfiction. I'd say nine out of 10 nonfiction books I, I start, I don't finish um, because I feel like so many of them are great 20 page New Yorker articles and they try to stretch it out to be a book. Um, so you get the premise and you have an example or two, and then usually I'm, I'm done with it. Or I got myself in too deep. I, I thought that I was going to read this incredible economics book from this Italian economist who's like Elizabeth Warren's main person. And, and you know, I, I thought I could probably understand it. And I did. I understood most of it, but it was just too much work. So I've got the main idea. I'll move on. Um, fiction, same thing, but I'd probably finish a higher percentage of what I start. Um, so, and I'm not doing that conscientiously. I'm not trying to dip a toe into 50 different books. It's more just trying to find the thing that hits the mood at the right time. Um, and sometimes I'll not finish a book and then somebody will tell me, oh my God, it's got, got so good. You should have stuck with it. And I'll go back and, um, and finish it. Um, so yeah, you know, fiction, nonfiction, almost anything that has anything to do with water. Um, I read um, swimming and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. And then, so yeah, swimming sort of behavioral economics is kind of interesting to me. And then mostly literary fiction. Um, How much of a responsibility is it of yours to read tons it's, of books? It's not, it's not really like in the, is my role in the store. It's not, I'm, that's not my main part of my work. Um, I'm really a behind the scenes scheduler and budget person and, you know, really administrative, largely dealing with payroll and union negotiations and all this other stuff. Um, but you know, I, I'm here because I love books, not because I love union negotiations or processing payroll. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, even if I didn't work here, I would probably read in a similar way. I just would have less access to forthcoming stuff maybe. Um, but you do, there is, there is some pressure to kind of always read something new or always read something that isn't quite out yet. So you're ahead of the curve somehow. Um, and that can be a little stressful. The pile next to the bed never gets smaller. Um, and then, you know, my wife will read something fantastic and I feel like, and she's like, Oh my God, you have to read this. And it's like, well, you already read it. So, you know, like, shouldn't I read something else so that our collective knowledge is expanded, which is kind of silly. Right. Since you've mentioned your wife twice in relation to reading, why don't you tell um, us, I know she has a role in the, in the world of books as well. She does. She's the, um, she produces independent bookstore day which is a once a year celebration, usually the last day, last Saturday of April. Um, and it's basically six or 700 stores around the country throw a party um, in their store, whatever that means in their community, um, whether it's, you know, reading for children's or we have this woman that composes free custom poetry on demand. Um, we usually have a keg from a local brewery. <laughs> um, we had a couple of Chronicle reporters in to talk about local issues this year. Um, and, uh, and then there's, a, there's like, usually 10 or 15 kind of exclusive bookstore day items that are only for sale at independent bookstores and only on that day. She's also a writer, freelance editor. Uh, she manages the book section for the Chronicle right now. Um, so she decides which books get reviewed and who's going to review them. Um, so yeah, so she's in the, in the book world too. How did you guys manage to do that this year? It was just a week ago, right? Yeah. And it was a huge success. I think it's just when like just enough people were starting to come out and just you know, like, you know, things are really blooming here as far as, you know, I think 80% of San Franciscans have had at least one shot and over 55 or 60% have had both. And, and they just moved us into a new tier of openness. Um, and yellow. People, yellow tier. Yeah. So people are, um, people are coming out. You're hearing, you know, I saw a woman with her seven year old dad or something just saying like, I've been wanting to see him for a year. And the first thing we wanted to do was come to the bookstore. Um, and there she's buying her books and, 
Um, yeah, so it's, it's really sweet and, and, you know, everybody's kind of excited and I felt like bookstore day, the timing was really great. You know, if it had been maybe a month later, it could have been even huger, um, because people are still, we still have masks and we're still, everyone's still being careful, but it was a huge success for our store. You know, our sales were sort of like double a normal Saturday. Um, and, and a lot of other stores around the country, some stores like set that as their opening date, (laughs) um, and then it becomes their anniversary day. So it really is kind of an anchor holiday for Indies around the country. Yeah. Um, moving back to our summer read theme here. So I think we've established that we're not going to go to green apple books and find a big old rack of whatever the latest Danielle Steele book is maybe a couple. Sure. Um, so, but I thought the description that your wife gave of a summer read was dead on. She wanted to have something big that she could lose herself in, but also that isn't hugely taxing. You know, you don't want to like dig into some Nadine Gordimer and have to just, you know, un- unravel stuff. So what would you recommend for a summer read then? Um, well, it always depends on the reader. I mean, if, whenever somebody asks us for a recommendation, we say, what are the last two or three books that you loved? Um, yeah. So, you know, I'm not going to just blindly recommend, you know, whatever I'm crazy about. Um, so it, it depends on the reader. I mean, and, and then of course, if you want something new that's being published this summer, or if you're just open to anything. So steer me in a direction. What are the, speaking of like steering and direction, like what is, how is it to be steered by a publicist or the marketing team from HarperCollins or Penguin or whatever? I mean, what is that experience like as a bookseller? I, don't, I mean, what are they, I'm just curious. I've never been on the backside of that, so. Um, yeah, I, and I don't see too much of that firsthand um, because we have a buyer who all, his entire job is just sorting through the 10,000 titles that are published every month and deciding which ones to carry one of in the section, which to put five of on display or which to get 50 of. Um, and we've done a lot, especially in this last year, we've done a ton of um, like signed pre-order campaigns from local authors, people who have a book coming out um, so that they can kind of send people to, to, to one's place to get signed copies um, and sometimes like we got, we got Nick Cave had a photography book out and we had the only signed copies in America. Um, so we've been doing a lot of that kind of thing. Um, so, so we, I am sometimes in touch with the publicists and marketing people to see if it's a local author, if we can kind of work together to promote pre-orders for whatever reason, I think it's Amazon <laughs> authors and publishers are obsessed with pre-order numbers. Um, because if Amazon has big pre-order numbers, then the publisher knows, okay, this is going to be big and we'll print more and that kind of thing. And if it doesn't, then um, they think people aren't going to notice the book. Um, so we've been, and we used to think that we couldn't really play that pre-order game because it's always going to be more expensive on our site. Um, and that's all digital selling. And it's really hard when you have a hundred thousand books in your store to get someone's attention on something that's not even here yet. And it's going to be here in a month. So in store, we thought, yeah, there's no reason to try to, sell something we don't have. Um, but online, it, you know, we, more and more of our sales have gone online. We've learned we can kind of do that, especially if we have a link with a local author who's going to come and sign. <clears throat> Over the years, have there been any books that you feel like you're, through your promotion and your support, you've really kind of made? Yeah, less so in the, in the front list and the new books, um, more so some backlist title. There's a, there's a book called The Seas by Samantha Hunt. Um, who's a novelist and short story writer. Um, and I've read a couple of her books and then I saw the season and I missed it. It came out 10 or 12 years ago, but Tin House did a reissue of it with a beautiful hardcover. Um, and, and literally the, the like mermaid picture on the front and the title gave me, I was like, oh, I love the ocean. Um, but it turned out to be a really, really, really good novel. And we sell like 20 copies a month or something. And I think probably the rest of the co- country sells 20 copies a month. Um, so there's a few books like that. There's one called You Can't Win 
there was an old, um, it's like a memoir of an old hobo in the twenties. Um, it was like a petty criminal and hobo. Um, and we sold that on our staff favorites case for, for decades. Um, and at some point we, we asked the publisher and they said that we sold 80% of the copies sold in the U S or something like that. Um, but, so we do, we do for, for older books, for sure. Um, it's a little harder with newer books because there's so many different things coming out. Um, when we partner with, with an author, um, you know, we often sell a ton of them. Um, like, you know, Bonnie from the grotto, mm-hmm. um, she wrote a book called why we swim, um, which of course is up my alley. Um, so we did a lot of promotions with her. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm curious too, like obviously San Francisco having such a literary legacy, um, in many, many years. And is that a big part? Like people come to town, they want to come to green apple and they want to buy, uh, you know, some Ferlinghetti poetry or some, you know, some, some of the beats are going further back, I guess. Who else, Larry, should people buy in San Francisco? Frank Norris. You can Frank Norris. Yeah. That's true. The McTeague stuff. But yeah, is that a huge, or big part of your sales, like kind of regional based on sort of the the history? I think you're asking about literary tourism. Yeah. I don't think we have too much of that. I think that if people love Dave Eggers or they love, um, you know, McSweeney's or something, they're going to love it anywhere. And so they don't come here just to buy a used copy of a Dave Eggers book, I don't think. Uh, but we certainly sell books like that more than other stores in other parts of the country, I think. I feel like you're, you know, I, I think the literary tourists are going to go to um, City Lights. And yeah. Green Apple's role, it seems to be more of the beloved local. Like I remember an article years ago about Ethan Kanan talking about how Green Apple was his favorite bookstore and he grew up around the corner and going there. So you guys are really rooted in, you're the locals bookstore. Yeah, and we do, like I said, you know, we do try to partner with partner with local authors, be aware of local authors. We do, we know we have an event series at our other store. And when um, we do three or four events a week over there, um, lots of grotto writers, of course. Um, and, uh, you know, when that, when everything shut down, we decided to do them online and they weren't, they don't sell books online like we used to in person, but we decided to keep doing it because there were so many local authors who had books coming out in this weird, awful time and they didn't deserve their book to launch in April of 2020. Um, so we, you know, we really wanted to just keep our ties to keep supporting the authors, but also keep our ties to the publishers um, to keep promoting their books and, and putting these events out there so that when things were normal, we'd still be on their radar. Cause you know, eventually the, the small authors that don't sell a ton of books sometimes get you like the John Waters appearance or something. So um, we try to try just to keep those relationships going during, during COVID. Do you think there won't be any live readings this summer? Will there? I don't know. I mean, you know, if you can get 6,000 people in the Chase Center to watch a Warriors game, I'm not sure why you couldn't get 40 people into a bookstore to True. see an author. I think we're thinking about maybe, you know, in California, the governor says that as of June 15th, there will be no more regulations in California having anything to do with COVID restrictions, except probably masks. Um, so we're, we're thinking about maybe in July, I don't think authors should be touring. It sounds like publishers aren't sending authors on the road, but we could probably start doing in-person um, events with limited capacity um, and you know, possibly making people prove vaccination. We do plan to try to stream them at the same time or record them mm-hmm. for later because we have broadened our audience so much. There are so many people even internationally that are like logging into our events. Um, we moved the times. We used to do them at 7, 7.30. Now we do them at 6 p.m. Because, you know, if people are going to bother to put on some hard pants and leave the house, we'll do it at 6 as soon as 7. And then we can get the East Coast crowd to watch the event, too. There you go. But, um, well, Larry, I'll just uh, cut it because we're getting a little close to um, the end of our 
our time for this segment. And I was going to ask, and you can follow up, Larry, too, on this, um, just like your best or one of your very best summer reads like experiences as a kid as a young adult as a bookseller you know you have something you remember so specifically like ah like that book i read that one summer yeah i used to um, i was a library kid uh, we went to the library twice a week i literally didn't know you could buy a book in a bookstore until i was like 18 or 19 uh, and that summer i was working on a, a a sort of summer resort town in delaware um if you can say resort town in delaware without laughing um, it was a beach town. Um, and I, uh, and I had a friend who told me I should read Tom Robbins and I said, Oh, I never heard of him. And I went to the library and they didn't have it. So I told my friend, Oh, well, and he said, just get it from the bookstore. And I was like, what? <laughs> so, you know, I shelled out the six bucks and, uh, and read Jitterbug perfume. And, um, I think I was, I was the right age. I was 18 or 19. Um, and it was just so fun and wacky, um, that, uh, that, that was, that was definitely a memorable one. That's great. So, yeah, we do need to shut her down uh, pretty soon. But I also want to know on, on the way out, if there's any books coming out this summer that you're really excited about. Yeah. Um, well, you know, the, the Hill We Climb by Amanda Gorman is coming out, which is, um, you know, the inauguration speech and other poems. So that that's going to spell really well. There's a book called The End of the Golden Gate um, that I think, Larry, you should read. It's, it's like 25 writers um, who have lived or live in San Francisco. And it's sort of like a, should we stay or should we go? Um, Nobody contacted me. I know, you know, half the writers, um, <laughs> but there is a, it is a, to the positive, it's a great diverse um, selection of writers who live here and or have lived here and sort of there, you know, the, the first one is by Beth Lissick and it's just hilarious. Um, yeah. So, so that's going to be, we're going to sell a lot of that. Gary Kamaya edited, um, edited that one. Um, I'm looking at what else, oh, this book waterlogged that I'm, I'm, uh, uh, swimming in regards to it's this old British classic as a, of nature writing. The guy basically decides to swim across England. It's his frog's eye view of England. And it's not again, an athletic feat. It's more just to explore nature. Um, and that's coming out um, in a few weeks. And that I think we're going to sell a lot of that because there's a lot of people that are into swimming in nature. Lauren Groff has a new one. Amor Tolls has a new one. Um, Rebecca Solnit, um, Billie Eilish, I got a teenage daughter, so I got to mention the Billie Eilish. It's going to be a big book. Um, so there's there's a lot of good stuff coming out in the next in the next couple months. What kind of book is Billie Eilish uh, publishing? Is it is it fiction? Is it nonfiction? Is it? I think it's nonfiction. It's her story. I think there's going to be a lot of pictures, um, and I don't mean that in a denigrating way because <laughs> I think she's pretty sharp. But uh, I haven't seen the finished book yet. We get it on Tuesday. No. All right. Well, we are out of time for this segment. Pete, I want to thank you for giving us a half an hour each time. For, for listeners, Pete is in it's his office at Green Apple, and he took a little time out of his day to come talk to us uh, to give us an idea of what happens in the summer when you own the bookstore, when you're the one selling the books. Thanks for having me. It's uh, yeah. great to talk to fellow book lovers. All right. Yeah, thanks, Pete. And uh, good luck out there, and um, hope everything opens up in a safe way soon. And before I forget, Pete, tell people where they can go online to buy those books from Green Apple. Greenapplebooks.com. We have, uh, there's, if you under shop for books, there's a lot of little tabs with um, new releases, forthcoming things that we think are great. We have a, a section called the Life Aquatic. It's all the, the water books that we love. So there's a lot of fun ways to poke around and find something new to read. All right. Well, thank you, Pete. So my name is Ross Hargraves. 
and I am a bookseller at the Barnes and Noble in Boise, Idaho. And the Barnes and Noble in Boise, Idaho is a fairly big bookstore. Actually, it's pretty big. Our clientele tends to really like the mystery thrillers. And so summertime is kind of like all the time in a sense of like selling kind of the idea of thrillers as beach read. Uh, I know CJ Box is really popular here in Boise. And then your others, John Grisham, David Baldacci, a lot of lawyer stuff going on. James Patterson, of course. But then James Patterson has a new book come out every day um, since he has like a troll farm, I think, of writers that like churns out books for him. Um, even Bill Clinton is one of his writer guys now. And, and he even wrote a true crime book about Jeffrey Epstein. So I wonder if that was ever awkward for anybody. I would assume yes. My main thing is to shelve books, but obviously there's always customers on the floor and they always need help. Um, they're always asking me if I work there which I think is weird because I'm wearing a lanyard and I don't know a whole lot of people that tend to wear lanyards outside of work. And yeah, so we're supposed to be booksellers and not book finders is what they tell us. Though I think a lot of what we do is find books for people. People a lot lot of times come in with, if they're asking for help, they have specific items in mind, but we do have our, we're supposed to recommend my, and we have our own staff picks on display. Mine is Annihilation by Jeff Vandermeer. It has been for the last three years, almost. I've been meaning to change it up, but that's a pretty great book. I don't know if you're aware of Jeff Vandermeer, but he writes, easy term would be sci-fi fantasy, but it's more climate fiction. Uh, Cli-fi, I think is the popular term. Um, And he has a new book out, Hummingbird Salamander. That's a pretty great book. Uh, I would highly recommend it. But yeah, so we're supposed to like recommend things based on what people ask for which isn't always easy to do business books self-help personal growth is what we call self-help that stuff i like to stay away from i don't get it i'll never get it also there's a popular a lot of popular a lot of people really like the pagan witchcraft and self-transformation which is based basically like self-help but with a spiritual bent and the one thing about that section is it is always a mess. I don't know what it is about the pagan witchcraft section, but people seem to be incapable of putting the books back in any kind of cogent order. Um, and that includes the UFO conspiracy section. So maybe it has something to do with conspiracies. Maybe reptilians have a hard time putting books back in the right place. And that's how you can tell that they're reptilian. I'm really not sure. But one book I always like people to ask for is Matthew McConaughey's new book, Green Lights. Um, it has been a very popular book. Um, it's like a memoir he wrote. Um, we sold out of it multiple times this last, well, what, whenever it came out, so the last couple of months. But whenever anybody asks for that book, I have a whole spiel set up about Reign of Fire, um, which is a movie I personally love, but a lot of people haven't seen. Um Basically, dragons take over the the earth. Earth is completely destroyed by dragons. And the only person that can save us is Matthew McConaughey and Christian Bale. Uh, Gerard Butler's in it. But Matthew McConaughey has a shaved head in that movie, and he chews scenery like probably the best scenery chewing since Alan Rickman in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Um, It would be in the top ten. I would be hard-pressed to find a better scene-chewing performance than Matthew McConaughey in that movie. So whenever anybody buys that book, and of course on the cover of that book he has hair, but 
I get to go into my spiel about Reign of Fire. Of course, they've never seen it. I get to tell people how much I love it. I don't think that we've actually sold any copies of the DVD. I don't even know if we have it in stock. But I guess you got to give me points for trying. The one thing about helping people out with books, a lot of times people can be people um, and they're, you know, they are who they are. But a lot of times with people, especially younger people, kids, if you find the book that they're looking for, there is a joy in their face. I don't take pride in, in much of that I do in terms of working. I uh, never really have. But when I see that look on people's faces, like they're actually really excited about what they're going to read, like I feel stuff, which is always interesting, but worth it, I think. I really do enjoy working around books and being around books, even if it is in more of a corporate box setting. We do have our customers, though. Um, there is one customer. She's been known to call in. Um, I don't. I've never met her in person. I've talked to her on the phone, but she really is into romance books that have dukes in them. Um, and this is pre Bridgerton, so this is like a couple years ago. So before Bridgerton became a thing, and it was always very strange, like just like very specific. So we would always have to order in all these romance books that involve Duke in some way, Dukes, uh, Viscounts, um, just all these kind of weird romance and like very specific. But it was and now it obviously has become a thing with Bridgerton. Like, so I guess she was on the pulse of something that I never understood. I did tell people that I was going to change my name to Duke Romance, um, first name Duke, last name Romance, but I never got around to it. We have a cafe in the Barnes & Noble, so we get our regulars come in for drinks. Um, I I don't know if it picks up in the summertime as much. almost might be more of a wintertime thing, especially with the older folks. Um, and so you get people like go up there with like a stack of magazines they're not going to buy, um, which we then have to put back. Um, but right now they actually have uh, Trix cookies and uh, Cocoa Puffs cookies. So if you're interested in cereal cereal cookies, we did have Lucky Charms cookies for a while, but I ate two of those in a morning and I felt like my whole body had become a kind of goo. We don't have them anymore. I wouldn't recommend them. I don't know if they sound good to you or not. They did to me, but they probably shouldn't have. So yeah, we summers are a little bit lax, I think. Christmas time is like the big time. Um, we do have our picks. Barnes and Noble has picks of the month now. Um, we're supposed to try to move those. Um, and we have our picks of the year. I know the boy, the mole, the fox and the horse was a very popular book. Um, and it was our pick a couple years ago. And whenever it was on TV, like the morning shows, we'd instantly sell out. Um, and that's been going on for a little while. In some ways it's very like what becomes really, really popular is I think it's kind of hard to discern. Um, like Bridgerton, which I mentioned, we didn't have enough copies. So everyone was asking for it because of the show. Um, and then we finally got some in and now like we have way too many. Um, and the Witcher was another situation where the show came out. People were really excited about it. They kept asking for the books, but the publisher hadn't, um, printed enough so we were kind of 
our hands were kind of tied, just waiting for the publisher. Um, and then we got some in and they sold really well. And then we still have a ton. Um, and so it's just like, but there's other Netflix things that come out and movies that don't really move as much. So it's kind of interesting to see like what hits the zeitgeist in that way. Um, and what kind of moves it forward. It tends to be TV, I think, in a lot of ways. I know Dune is coming out in October, and we've been selling a lot of Dune copies of Dune for the last a last while since the movie got moved. But like Dune is a big one in terms of sci-fi. It's easy to sell. People seem to come in, and um, I've read all the books, and so I try to sell the less good sequels which is always a fun conversation when people are like, is it worth it? And I'm like, well, it's interesting, which it's not a good sell, but you know, I do what I can. But like I said, it's a mystery thriller kind of town. Um, and there's those people that are more interested in the cozy mysteries, which tend to be an older folk. Uh, they want their murder more lighthearted. A lot of dogs on the covers, a lot of pun titles that's another section i'm not really sure of i just but you know you do what you can it's it's always an interesting day working in a bookstore um barnes and noble you know we have a lot to do a lot of books to put away we try to help our customers as much as possible um and then we have a lot of stuff there uh they're not as focused on the movies and music as they used to be and also for a time they were moving into the toys um and we're moving away from that, which I think is probably for the best. Um, puzzles, we have some puzzles. But yeah, like I said, it's always an interesting time working there. The people, you get some interesting people. Um, and you can get some weirdos. Um, I know some of the girls that work there have had to deal with uh, some weirdness. There was a guy that came in. Um, we have OG boards, Ouija boards. Um, but they're like, I don't know. Like if you were really into the occult, I don't think you're buying the glow-in-the-dark Ouija board um, but we got a bunch in for a Christmas a few years ago and like as like a, like people would buy it as a Christmas present I guess which seems again strange but we didn't sell very many of them um, but I guess a guy came in and he was going to buy one and he was telling one of the girls I work with that she had to go out with him otherwise something bad was going to happen to her because he had discerned this I guess from another Ouija board, though if he already had one, I don't know, he's buying the glow-in-the-dark one. Um, maybe the spirits like it, I don't know. It's fun, I guess. Um, so it's like most jobs, I think. Except for then, you get to talk to people about like what they really like, um, which is different, I think, from most jobs. So manga's been really popular this summer. Um, it's always had a big following. Um, here in Boise, oh, not a big following here in Boise. I would say like a cult following more so, but the pan, I don't know if it was the pandemic and people just had time to read all these really long series, but it's been blowing up pretty huge. Um, and I'm not, a, I'm not into it myself, but I know a lot of people that are, and I don't know, it's just, it's an easy sell a lot of times, but like just people like they get so into it and just like. I don't know. It can be contagious in a way, just when people are happy and at finding things that entertain them and bring joy into their lives, um, especially in these current times, which have been, which can be kind of joyless. And so if I can help people find, you know, anything that helps them through, I think, 
you know, I've done my job. And I, like I said, I like books, you know, and helping find people find, especially if I, if I know about it. Like, how many conversations have I been in about Game of Thrones and when The Winds of Winter is coming out? Like, it's a frustrating conversation to have, but Patrick Rothfuss fans and even Outlander fans are all very aware of just, like, I think that those three writers are just hanging out. Um, they meet up for drinks and, like, intentionally not write, just the three of them, while their fans wait. Um but low is the life of the bookseller, I guess. Like we are waiting, waiting on the writer most times, unless it's again James Patterson because he has a farm somewhere where people just—I don't know if they ever get free or they just write stuff for him. Um, it is an interesting concept. He takes up a whole row of shelves at my job, and I don't know how different most of those books are from each other. But you know, it is—it is what it is. Well, I, for one, think I have learned a lot about what happens at bookstores in the summer and a variety of bookstores, too. Um, definitely had the Pete point of view, which told us the indie, the indie thing, and the Ross point of view. We, Mr. Ross. <laughs> Mr. Ross. For a fantastically strange. And if you can find his work online, it's really great. Absolutely. It's not that easy to find, but if you can, look for Ross Hargraves online. Um, we want to thank uh, Pete Mulvihill for giving us a little bit of time during what is a busy season for him. We want to thank Ross Hargreaves. 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 Ross, come back and tell us. Yes. Uh, for his great contribution. It was really fantastic. Um, and remember, we have a Facebook group that you can join, Story Forward Podcast. Just uh, find the link in the show notes where you will also find uh, the link to our social media and our website. Yeah. And uh, yeah, join the conversation with us uh, for sure. And we want to thank Eavesdrop Studios and Brett Battistain and uh, the crew over there. And we want to say you can find out about all things Eavesdrop at ease-drop.com. And... What are we going to do, Larry? We're going to keep the story moving forward. We are. Before I do that, though, I just did want to mention, you can also find the tip jar over there. Oh, the at, tip. That's uh, important. Ease-drop.com. Absolutely. Next week, uh, it's, it's going to be kind of crazy. It's our July 4th show, and we got some different kind of yeah. stuff planned for you there. And, yeah. Uh, at, frankly, at this speaking, I'm hoping it all pans <laughs> out. So we're going to... Grab your cooler and your koozies <laughs> and your... And your, I don't and know, your PBR fair, was and it? your ferry ticket yeah. and oh, all yeah. the things you might need to join us. And your helmet. On our right, adventure. Your helmet is definitely necessary. Your helmet and your <laughs> ankle brace. Uh, so That's until right. then, all that we ask is that you keep moving the story forward. This is true. Keep that narrative moving. 